Welcome to Season 3 of the Before They Were Beatles podcast. This season, we join the boys in 1962 as they progress from hopeful auditions to finalising their lineup and recording their first single. Before They Were Beatles, Episode 24, Farewell Pete, Hello Ringo. In this episode, we'll take a deep dive into the events surrounding Pete Best's departure and Ringo's arrival as a member of the Beatles. This is the story of how one of thousands of amateur British schoolboy skiffle bands in the mid-1950s evolved into the beginnings of the greatest band in popular history. It's a story of hope, creativity and exploring musical boundaries. It's also a story of tragedy, coincidence and at times just sheer luck. It is a story of beginnings, the story of John, Paul, George and Ringo before they were Beatles. I'm your host, Alan J. Porter. Part 1. Pete Best When, during the Beatles' first visit to the Abbey Road Studios on the 6th of June 1962, producer George Martin told Brian Epstein that, for the purposes of making a record, he would be using a session drummer, his comment sealed Pete Best's fate and his subsequent departure from the Beatles. But was this a reflection of Best as a drummer, or would this have happened anyway regardless of the drummer at the time? Throughout the years, many fans have pointed the finger at George Martin as the person responsible for Pete's departure, when in fact it was more likely EMI producer Ron Richards, who was the first to consider the Beatles drummer unsuitable for recording work, an opinion he shared with Martin. Richards was known to have a thing about drummers. When asked to work with a new drummer, he would ask them to do something specific on their kit. Pete failed the test. In retrospect, it seems that Richards was determined to use a session drummer no matter how Pete had performed, and Pete's inability to meet Richards' request just confirmed his position. At this point, nobody from the studio had seen the Beatles perform live, so Richards and Martin's issues with Pete were strictly related to his abilities in a studio setting, not as a drummer overall. George Martin was probably planning to bring in a session drummer anyway, for this was standard operating procedure in the recording industry, especially when dealing with a new group. It wasn't clear whether George Martin only spoke to Brian about Pete or if John, Paul and George learned of Martin's opinion at the same time. But either way, a discussion was soon held, maybe even as early as on the trip back to Liverpool, and top of the agenda was what to do about Pete. There are no records and no third-party witnesses to these discussions, but we do know from his memoirs that Brian liked Pete and was initially reluctant to let him go. Once they had accepted the inevitable logic of replacing Pete Best, they had to find ways to justify it to themselves. Apparently John was ambivalent. His history with the Quarrymen shows that he had no problem letting people go. Both Paul and George saw this as an opportunity to continue with the group's musical development. And the way they thought was, however it turned out, in the end it wasn't them, it was George Martin that had declared that Pete didn't measure up. Paul later reflected on the decision in the Beatles anthology, quote, It was a big issue at the time how he dumped Pete, and I do feel sorry for him because of what he could have been onto. But as far as we were concerned, it was strictly a professional decision. If he wasn't up to the mark, 
slightly in our eyes and definitely in the producer's eyes, then there was no choice. But it was still very difficult. One of the most difficult things we had to do. Once Epstein had reached an understanding with the three Beatles regarding Pete, there was no going back. Things quickly started to roll. The only person not involved was Pete himself, who remained unaware of what was happening around him. When Brian Epstein finally received a signed contract from EMI in early July, it was a mixed blessing, for now they had a record deal and a confirmed date later in the year to be back in the studio. But the producer who'd issued the contract didn't want to use their drummer. To ensure their success, perhaps they needed a drummer that could play in both the studio and on the stage. After the Beatles' two performances at the Cavern on Wednesday, August 15th, 1962, Bryant asked Pete if he could stop by the offices in the morning. There was nothing unusual in the request, as the best were the only family in the group to have a phone, and messages about venues and bookings were often relayed through Pete. On the 16th of August, Pete arrived at the NEMS office for what he thought was a routine meeting, but it ended up changing his life. After nervously exchanging some small talk, Brian uttered the fatal words. I don't know how to tell you this, but the boys want you out, and it's already been agreed that Ringo is joining on Saturday. The words that Brian used were carefully chosen after consultation with his legal advisers. It's often said that Pete Best was sacked. He wasn't. As their manager, Brian was technically an employee of the partnership between John, Paul, George and Pete, known as the Beatles. He couldn't sack one of his nominal bosses. The partnership had to be dissolved. And by accepting Brian's statement and not turning up for the next few gigs, Pete in effect helped dissolve the partnership himself. Although I'm sure this wasn't the way he saw things back then. For an extensive detailed account of the legal implications of the way that Pete was removed from the Beatles partnership, I recommend the excellent book, The Fourth Beatle by David Bedford and Gary Popper, which was an invaluable addition to my regular resources in preparing this episode. In his autobiography, Best of the Beatles, Pete outlined his reactions. Quote, I was stunned and found words difficult. Only one echo through my mind. Why? They don't think you're a good enough drummer, Pete. And George Martin doesn't think you're a good enough drummer. Then I asked, does Ringo know about this yet? He's joining on Saturday, Epi said. So everything was all neatly packaged. A conspiracy had been going on for some time behind my back, but not one of the other Beatles could find the courage to tell me. The stab in the back had been left to Brian, and it had been left until the last minute. Even Ringo had been party to it. Someone else I had considered to be a pal up until this momentous day. Epstein went on to what for him seemed simply next business. He asked, There's still a couple of venues left before Ringo joins. Will you play? Yes, I nodded, not really knowing what I was saying, for my mind was in turmoil. No, Pete quickly changed his mind and did not play those gigs. How could this happen to me? Why had it taken two years for John Lennon, Paul McCartney and George Harrison to decide that my drumming was not of a high enough standard for them? Dazed, I made my way out of Brian's office. Neil Aspinall was waiting for me. What's happened? He asked as soon as he saw me. You look as if you've seen a ghost. Pete Best wasn't the only one whose career with the Beatles hung in the balance that day. Unknown to him, so did Neil Aspinall's. 
Given his close ties to the Best family, there was concern that he'd side with Pete. So even though John, Paul and George wanted him to stay, Brian had already lined up a potential replacement roadie. Years later, Aspinall recalled in an interview, When Pete was sacked, he wanted to drink with me all through the afternoon, but I said, no, I have to drive the van tonight. He said, but I've just been sacked. And I said, you've been sacked, Pete. I haven't been sacked. I've still got a job to do. Neil remained loyal to John, Paul, George and Ringo over the years, becoming the longest serving Beatles employee. But he also maintained a relationship with the Best family too. A difficult balancing act, one would imagine. Note, we'll be covering Pete's post-Beatles career in Season 4 of part of our upcoming Forgotten Beatles series. Part 2. Who is on the list? There were two important dates on Brian Epstein's calendar. 22nd of August for a Granada TV to film the Beatles at the Cavern and the 4th of September for a return to Abbey Road for their first recording session. To add to the pressure, EMI notified Brian that they booked a high-profile press photographer to be on hand to take the group's first professional photographs. Brian needed to find a new drummer and quickly. He already had a list of potential replacements in mind. Bobby Graham On Friday 27th of July 1962, the Beatles were playing on the same bill as Joe Brown and the Brothers at the Tower Ballroom in New Brighton, where their drummer, Bobby Graham, caught Brian Epstein's eye as a potential replacement for Pete Best. As well as being a solid live drummer, Graham had extensive studio experience and met all the Beatles' needs, except that he didn't live in Liverpool. Nevertheless, Brian Epstein approached him about replacing Pete Best. Graham had a wife and family in London and didn't want to move to Liverpool. And as he pointed out in later interviews, the Beatles hadn't had any hits at that point while he was playing with a chart-topping act. So he declined. It's unsure if any of the Beatles knew about this initial offer to Graham. George Harrison claimed many years later he was unaware of it. Or if the offer was for a permanent role or a temporary one, as the boys were already campaigning for Brian to approach Ringo. As an aside, Bobby Graham would turn down another opportunity to join the Beatles again in 1964. A story we'll be covering in the upcoming Season 4. Richie Galvin Richie Galvin, real name Richie Hughes, was the 19-year-old drummer in Earl Preston and the TTs and considered among the top echelon of Liverpool drummers at the time. He was known for producing a powerhouse sound and sometimes was known by the nickname Thunderfoot. In fact, his style was very similar to Pete Best's, so it's unsure what extra he could have added to the mix, as it would be a like-for-like swap. But apparently Brian liked Richie's style of drumming and had even gifted him a set of expensive cymbals. Due to Richie being under 21, Brian actually approached Richie's father at first about him joining the group. But when asked, Richie declined, as he was looking to settle down. He and his girlfriend had just put down the deposit on a house, and his uncle had secured him a full-time job. But perhaps the greatest barrier to Richie joining the Beatles was John Lennon. Richie Galvin had no time for John, finding him arrogant, didn't like his sarcastic manner, and finding him unnerving to be around, and thought they would soon fall out. So no thanks, he'd give the Beatles a miss. Freddie Marsden Jerry Marsden of Jerry and the Pacemakers has sometimes claimed that shortly after his group signed with Brian Epstein's management company, that his brother, and the group's drummer, Freddie, had been considered by Epstein as a replacement for Pete Best. 
However, Freddie Marsden himself has always denied it. Johnny Hutchinson People often name Pete Best as the Beatles drummer before Ringo. That isn't technically accurate, as the last person to sit at the drum set with the Beatles before Ringo joined was Johnny Hutchinson of the Big Three, who was asked to fill in after Pete declined to play any more gigs following his traumatic meeting with Brian Epstein. At the time, Hutchinson was considered to be the best drummer in Liverpool by many other musicians, including John Lennon. His group, the Big Three, had since early July been managed by Brian Epstein, so it seemed obvious to ask him to sit in. Although Ringo had been offered the job a few days earlier, it seemed that Brian Epstein still wasn't totally convinced, for during these gigs he asked Hutchinson if he'd be interested in being the Beatles drummer. His response was, quote, I wouldn't join the Beatles for a big clock. The Beatles couldn't make a sound as good as the Big Three. My group is ten times better than the Beatles. He later explained, I actually liked the Beatles, but hated the music. It wasn't for me, but it suited lots of people. As a parting shot, he suggested they go get Ringo, unaware that Ringo had already been offered the job. Part 3. Ringo Starr while the Beatles were on a trajectory to start their recording career AMI following their 6th of June visit to the Abbey Road Studios, Ringo Starr felt like his career had stalled. But then out of nowhere, three offers arrived at once. First, Jerry Marsden asked Ringo to join the Pacemakers, but not as a drummer, but as a bass player, even though Ringo had never played a bass up until that point. In the Beatles anthology, Ringo recalled, The idea of being up front with the group was appealing. That you'd never played a particular instrument before wasn't important back then. After that, he was offered and accepted the drummer's job in King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. But soon the Beatles came calling and he reversed his decision. In an interview, Ringo recalled, I met the Beatles in Germany when Rory, Storm and the Hurricanes played there and so did the Beatles. After our early morning sets, if the Beatles were left on, I'd still hang around asking them to play some sort of soft, sentimental songs which they usually did. Once back in Liverpool, the Beatles were soon often playing on the same bill as Rory Storm and the Hurricanes and were hanging out at Rory Storm's house. There are several photographs taken where John, Paul, George and Pete are hanging out with the Hurricanes, including Ringo. Although no evidence exists to show that Ringo was offered the drumming job with the Beatles before August 1962, it's clear that on a few occasions that Pete Best couldn't make it, Ringo was their go-to drummer and so they got to know each other a little better musically. After making a record together in Hamburg in October 1960, covered in episode 15 of this podcast, the first documented time that Ringo sat in with the Beatles was at their Christmas party on the 27th of December 1962, when Pete Best had asked him to play in his place. Ringo also joined them on the 5th of February at the Cavern, and the 26th of March again at the Cavern for the lunchtime session, and at the Kingsway Club in the evening. So they knew what he was like to play with, and they clearly enjoyed playing with him in the group. George Harrison was perhaps the biggest supporter of Ringo joining the Beatles. Quote, To me it was apparent, Pete kept being sick and not showing up for gigs, so we would get Ringo to sit in with the band instead. And every time Ringo sat in, it was like, this is it. Eventually we realised we should get Ringo in the band full time. I was quite responsible for stirring things up. I conspired to get Ringo in for good, and I talked to Paul and John till they came around to the idea. Even though Ringo had sat in with the Beatles on several occasions over the previous year, and there had been conversations about him joining the group, 
there is no evidence that he was offered the job before the 10th of August 1962. In fact, Brian Epstein wasn't too impressed with Ringo. He felt he was untidy and scruffy looking and unprofessional, as on one previous occasion when Brian had offered to collect Ringo and give him a lift to a joint Beatles Hurricanes gig, Ringo had kept him waiting while he had a cup of tea. And one thing Brian was a stickler for was punctuality. As Ringo remembers in the Beatles' official biography, Me, I was just a skinny bearded scruff. Brian didn't really want me either. He thought I didn't have the personality. And why get a bad looking cat when you could get a good looking one? Yet Ringo was clearly the boy's first choice. Unaware that Ringo was still at Butlins in Skegness with Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, George was asked to contact him to invite him to join the Beatles. George ended up at Ringo's mum's, where he left a message asking Ringo to contact them when he could. Ringo returned to Liverpool on August the 11th and was informed that George had been trying to contact him. That evening, Ringo headed to the Odd Spot Club, where the Beatles were playing. And during a break, John, Paul and George asked Ringo to join them after the gig at a pub called the Blue Angel, where he was introduced to Brian Epstein and the initial offer to join the Beatles was made. Ringo's reaction was to discuss things with his best friend Roy Trafford. In a 2015 interview, Trafford recalled, When Ringo was asked to join the Beatles, it, it was a surprise to him and he didn't know which way to go. So he asked me, what do you think? And I told him, what have you got to lose? Have a go. Ringo takes up the story. I thought no more about the meeting in the pub until the following Tuesday when early in the afternoon I received a message asking me to phone Mr Epstein at midnight. At this point he was back at Butlins with the Hurricanes. During the call Brian repeated the offer asking would you like to join the Beatles and when I said I would for I just love to play with those three he asked if I could make it the next day as Pete Best had already left. Note, this is a little disingenuous on Brian's part, as it was in fact two days before Epstein had inf informed Best that he was no longer wanted. Back to Ringo. I said no, but I would join them on the following Saturday afternoon. Ringo was signed on for a probationary period at £25 a week, half of what the other three Beatles were being paid at that point, just to see how things went, with the promise that if all went well, he would be made a fully-fledged member. Ringo officially became a full partner in the Beatles when they all signed new contracts on the 1st of October 1962. Part 4. The Aftermath Brian's official press release was buried on page 8 of the next issue of Merseybeat and stated that quote, Pete left the group by mutual agreement. There were no arguments or difficulties and this has been an entirely amicable decision. There may have been no arguments among the band members, but the dismissal of Pete Best caused much rumour and speculation among fans in Liverpool. At the time, Liverpool groups changed their lineup with regularity as main members came and went, but it was a surprise to find out that a member who had been a regular feature with the Beatles for two years would have left just as they were on the brink of success. Looking back at Pete's time with the band many years later for a documentary, Paul observed, quote, we had Pete Best, who was a really good drummer, but there was just something. He wasn't quite like the rest of us. We kind of had a sense of humour in common, and he was nearly in with it all, but it's a fine line between what's nearly in and what is exactly in. Former Beatles manager Alan Williams noted that, quote, I think socially he didn't fit in, and as they had to live in each other's pockets, maybe they thought with Ringo they'd have a better time. The Fab Four debuted at Hume Hall on Saturday 18th of August 1962 with a clearly nervous Ringo. 
The situation was not helped by a mass female shouting of We want Pete that greeted his introduction. For many of the fans have come along with one intention in mind, to show support for Pete Best. Ringo's debut as a Beatle at the Cavern was not as bad, although there was still chance of support from Pete, from the audience such as We Want Pete and Pete Forever, Ringo Never. Ringo wisely kept his head down and focused on playing, but things didn't work out for the rest of the group who were targeted by angry fans. In particular George, who ended up with a black eye after giving a sarcastic response during a confrontation with an upset Pete Best fan. Another group of fans staged a walkout when the Beatles started playing. As far as the other three members were concerned, it was just a temporary thing that they knew would blow over, for they knew they'd made the right decision. In a Rolling Stone interview, Paul recalled, quote, In the first few minutes that Ringo was playing, I looked to the left at George and to the right at John, and we didn't say a word, we all just smiled. I remember thinking, shit, this is amazing. You could turn your back on Ringo and never have to worry. The beat was always there. You knew he was going to nail it. Although it's often suggested that the Beatles' new drummer was always going to be Ringo, the evidence suggests that it wasn't a certainty to start with. But regardless of what transpired before Ringo was recruited into the Beatles, the fact remains that he was the right choice, a perfect foil for John, Paul and George. As Tony Barrow, NEM's employee and later Beatles press officer put it, Pete Best was a great drummer, but Ringo was a great Beatle. In our next episode, we complete our journey as the Beatles return to the recording studio, make their TV debut and say goodbye to Hamburg. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Before They Were Beatles podcast. If you would like to leave a rating or a review on your favourite podcast platform, that would be great. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you would like to make a comment or ask a question, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Before Beatles. You can also find copies of the original Before They Were Beatles book on Amazon in hardcover, paperback and Kindle editions. And don't forget, you can now sign up for our new monthly Before They Were Beatles newsletter with all the latest news about the in-progress work on the expanded 20th anniversary edition of the Before They Were Beatles book, information about this podcast, plus all the latest happenings with the Savage Young Beatles tribute band. The news and update sections each month will be free to all subscribers, but paid subscribers will get an exclusive first look at the in-progress updates to the expanded edition of the book, author's notes, playlist suggestions, recommended reads and song histories. Just head over to beforebeatles.substack.com to sign up. I'm your host, writer and producer, Alan J. Porter. Stay well, stay safe and enjoy peace and love. The Before They Were Beatles podcast is a production of Megrid Entertainment, a division of 4J's Group, LLC.